This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. We could have sent 980 CFPL reporter Andrew Graham out this weekend on a fact-finding mission. You've heard of sensory deprivation tanks. Well, we could have put him in one. Instead, he went in one all by himself. Andrew, you find the greatest ways to do things. I think if there is reincarnation in this life, I want to come back as Andrew Graham. You've got to take us back. What did you do this weekend? Uh, Mike, I went to do what's called float therapy. So you go into what's called a sensory deprivation tank and basically uh, lose all your senses. You go senseless, and that's supposed to help you. Okay, so we've, we've probably heard about these things. Everybody's heard about a sensory deprivation tank, but how many people have actually seen what this looks like? This is not something that you just kind of walk into and they shut the door and shut off the lights and say, see you later. So what does it look like? Um, so basically it's like this big bath and there's about 10 inches of, uh, 10 inches of water. And there's about a thousand pounds of Epsom salts. That's what they say. I didn't measure these Epsom salts. So it's like this white, uh, kind of like weird, murky liquid that you uh, kind of sit in. And um, you go in there. Um, you take a shower beforehand, but you go in there. You shut the door. Lights are off. You can't hear anything because your ears filled with water. And basically, you just see nothing and you hear nothing, and you float. And the water actually matches the same temperature as your skin. So you almost forget about the water, and you almost forget about your body, and it's the weirdest experience like I've ever had. Okay, so let's picture this then. You can wear a bathing suit, can't you? No, you go full nude. You full, go full nude? Yes, yeah, so it's like the most immersive experience. If you want, you can, wear a, you can wear a bathing suit, but as you mentioned, <laughs> the reporter brain, I wanted to get the full experience, Mike, so that's what I did. Um, so you're there, and you're nude. Uh, okay. In this bath. And again, you just feel like you have no body. It's the weirdest thing. Now, but at the same time, you do have ears. And anyone who has been swimming, you know that water goes into the ears. It's kind of that uncomfortable feeling as you're learning to swim. You have to get used to that floating on your back. So are you floating on your back? Yeah, completely on your back. And they provide earplugs. So you can put earplugs in to not get the water in. Uh, I didn't use the earplugs myself. And I had water in my ear, but it wasn't annoying. It wasn't because it's like um, this type of salt water. It's not really too irritating. You have to make sure you clean it afterwards, but it doesn't irritate you or anything. Um, and it's almost weird because you have to like lean your head back. And like when you're floating on regular water, you don't really float that way. There's always like a part of you that's kind of tensed up. You got to stay above water. But this is literally just as if you're floating in space or something. And again, I came into it skeptical. I really didn't expect anything out of it. And I actually really enjoyed it. Yeah. We're talking with 980 FBL reporter Andrew Graham, who was in a sensory deprivation tank over the weekend. How long did it take before you started to lose that divide between the water and your surroundings and just being inside yourself? Well, this is a weird thing. So I was in there for an hour, but if you were to ask me how long I was in there for, I would have said 20 minutes tops because like, you really lose sense. Of, and I know this sounds so crazy. This sounds like... No, but this is good because you have the brain to at least go in and be skeptical exactly. and ask questions. And- exactly. And I was super skeptical going into it because I, I heard stories of people saying, you know, oh, the sense of time in the tank is differently. I'm okay, that's kind of like, okay, get out of here, right? But I went in there and I mean, about 10 minutes in... You kind of like – it's really the physical part of it that's the hardest, like really adjusting your body to floating, like truly floating in water because um, it's not like in you're in a pool. Like you're just floating. And so once you kind of lose that sense of physical perception, I guess you'd call it, and like if you're not touching the walls, you're not bouncing around too much, you just kind of float there. And 
it feels like you're sleeping, but your eyes are open, but you can't see anything. So it's almost like you're in this dreamlike state kind of, and your mind just wanders off and one and everywhere. And at one point I started hearing music towards the end. And I remember like raising my head being like, oh, is there music? Is it time to end? Because music plays when it's over. And I raised my head. I couldn't hear anything. So I'm like, okay, this is a little kind of weird. <laughs> but then as soon as that started happening, like five minutes later, I had to go because the actual music started playing. So again, I couldn't tell you when I started to feel comfortable with it, but it was like pretty soon, about 10 minutes or so into it. Yeah. There are weird experiences you can have when you are doing some tasks. One of them, I think people talk about painting. When you're painting, it's very rhythmic and you can kind of get into your own memories and into your own head. And sometimes you'll go back and, and you'll think of really negative things. Sometimes you'll go back and you'll think of really positive things. Is there a direction that your brain takes you? Um, it's funny you bring memories because memories is what I thought about. Like I kept thinking about a random like random people I met in life, not like anyone significant, but just being like, oh, yeah, I remember that guy. And like I thought about a field trip from grade four. I just remembered it vividly, started thinking about that. And again, it feels like you're dreaming and it feels like because when you leave it, it feels like you just slept for like four hours. So you feel like you're really refreshed, really awake. Your body's like really super relaxed. But yeah, you just have all these random thoughts. I mean, I would compare it. I, I used to be a lot more into running. I'd run like uh, like 10Ks, 15Ks, stuff along those lines. And once I was really into those long runs and it wasn't too physically taxing, like I was capable of doing it physically, your mind gets into a point where like you almost forget you're running and you kind of just have this clear mind, clear head, just thinking about stuff. So it kind of reminded me of like, Kind of just a fast forward into that state. So really, really interesting. Yeah. Email from Megan has come in at Mike at 980CFPL.ca wondering how big the tank is. She asks, is it as big as a tanning bed or bigger? Uh, bigger than a tanning bed. So I'd think of it like a, like a very large stand-up shower because um, there's different types. Some people online may have seen like these little futuristic pods that you, that you sit in. But there's enough room that I'm about 5'10". So I could put my arms up and down all over, had no trouble. I wasn't hitting the walls or anything. So you don't feel claustrophobic at all. And what's really strange is once you really get into it, um, like because you're floating, your body is so sensitive to the movement that like just one little push will move you all over. And you'll feel like you're floating forever and you're about to hit the side, but you don't hit the side. You just get so into those like movements. It's such a strange experience. And like I hate talking about it because I sound so crazy. No, you don't. No, no. Because again, you have you have a skeptical brain. You've said you went in skeptical, but at the same time enjoyed the experience. Will you do it again? 100%. 100%. And part of it, what I thought was helpful was I went with a friend. It was both of ours first time. And it was almost nice having another person going through it the first time because we had very similar experiences. Like at one point he was saying like, yeah, I had these random memories. At one point he said, you know, I felt like maybe this is what it's like to die because he had like no body or no thoughts. And it sounds like very out there. But then at one point he said, I started thinking about that. And then I thought about my dead relatives. And I'm like, well, this is what it's like. Maybe it's not so bad. Maybe they're (laughs) doing well. So it's super strange, but it kind of helps reaffirm all these like kind of out there thoughts you have and kind of these wacky kind of perspectives on it. So yeah, definitely do it again, 100%. It's supposed to be therapeutic. It sounds like it was for you and your friend. Hey, Andrew, thanks so much for sharing this. I, I still want to, if there is reincarnation, I still want to come back and be Andrew <laughs> sounds Graham. Sounds good. Thank you. Andrew Graham in studio with us. 980 CFPL reporter who even goes out and reports when he's not on the job. Let's ask some questions about education right now, because on Wednesday, Thames Valley District School Board high school students are going to be affected by a one-day strike. 
And teachers, of course, are going to be affected because they're going to be part of a one-day strike. Joining us right now is the Ontario Secondary School Teachers Federation District 11 President, John Bernans. John, thanks so much for taking some time for us. How's the week shaping up? Reluctantly uh, getting ready to go out on strike on Wednesday. And, I mean, we all realize that, yeah, there is that reluctance. I want to look at this for a second. Can you help us to understand the aim of going out on a one-day strike? What is the hope that you will get out of this? We are trying to bring attention to the Ford government's cuts to education that are preventing us from moving forward with the deal. Okay. And what would you say would be kind of the, the the key issues there. Right. So there are three key issues. The class size average increases, moving from 22 to 1 to 25 to 1. Uh, and as I've mentioned before, people often think that that means classes are going from 22 to 25, and that's not the case. The average is 22. So right now we have classes, it's very common to have academic classes of 32, um, in Thames Valley, and those then, uh, if the average goes up by three, would go up to likely 35 um, or higher, uh, depending on what small classes continue. So there's also going to be pressure to cancel small classes, and that cancels programs that are available to students. So moving from 22 to 25 is, is a key problem. Um, the next one is the mandatory e-learning requirement to force all students to take two e-learning courses to graduate. Our position on that is that we need to do a study to uh, uh, determine the merits of mandatory e-learning. So far, there really is no research to suggest that this is a good thing, and uh, we would like to study it. Uh, and then the, the cuts will have a natural flow through uh, impact in that the Professionals who support students who are at risk will also uh, see cuts. Okay. So those are the three things. All right. So so that lays it out. And actually, I'd, I'd like to come back to one of those in a little bit in terms of the the number of students it would take to have a class. We might as well talk about that right now. In terms of the number of students it would take to have a class, that first point that you made, mm-hmm. is there a kind of a, a threshold right now where if you don't have X number of students, the class doesn't exist? And, and would that be raised? Well, there, there is no minimum, as you say. It, it likely would. If you're going to raise the average, that means there's just fewer teachers to go around. Gotcha. We do know there are some small classes, say in our small schools where we only have a small cohort, you might have students who are taking grade 9, grade 10, grade 11, all in the same class with one teacher who's trying to manage all those different curriculums. And those are often small classes so that they can do that. Uh, and, and another possible impact would be closing those small schools. I don't know how viable they'll be having classes, you know, of, of 15 or smaller because that's how many students they have. Uh, th- that's another natural impact as well. Sure. We are talking with OSSTF District 11 President John Bernance, and we are talking about Wednesday in which we will see a one-day strike by Ontario Public School teachers that will involve, in this case, Thames Valley District School Board. We have seen another one that did not involve Thames Valley District School Board. John, we were wondering on the show last week, and I thought there's got to be a better way to do this because I'm feeling for the teachers who do a very good job 
job and who who kind of work and and they're prepared for a day. This is like basically saying to them, okay, uh, you had five days in order to teach this part of the curriculum that you're teaching right now. Now you're going to do it in four because you're going to be on strike for one. How do how do you address the teachers and how are they feeling about these one day walkouts? Well, they're reluctantly doing it, but they are doing it to benefit their students. They're doing it for their their current students and future students. So certainly they, they are not excited. The additional impact on them, of course, is that they're all giving up. This is their second day of pay that they're giving back as well. Uh, and it's really about coming back to the school and looking those students in the eye and saying that increasing your class sizes, that forcing you to do e-learning is not okay with me. So uh, on a personal level, that's why they are doing it, and, and of course they don't want to. Uh, they, will have, they will adjust their curriculum so that students will, will get everything that they need uh, in a similar fashion to if there were snow days, those things have to be adjusted. So the same kind of adjustments are made. It's just unfortunate that it's for this reason. And the other thing I wonder, and this just it kind of goes back to Union tactics, because this is this is very similar to things that we've seen, not just in the education system, but this is this is similar to a lot of things. We're going to do a one day walkout. But if you look, there's a protest that goes on regularly at Wellington and Dufferin that is protesting climate change. There's another one that goes on very regularly right near London Health Sciences Center at Wellington and Commissioners that is protesting abortion. And you know what? It becomes white noise. You drive by. You don't even notice. Do you think people are actually noticing? Do you think this is this is actually gathering favor at all? Well, it's a good question. We we know even from the government's own consultations that more than seventy percent of those people who are consulted do not support the changes that the government's making. We so we have a good feeling, and certainly anecdotally on the picket line, we we are getting a lot of support from the public that they do support us. I, I don't know, but it's a fight we have to have, regardless of whether we are successful or not. I, I can't look at my kids and say I didn't do anything. But why does it have to happen? Like, Why can't we just continue to have discussions until discussions come about? I mean, we know that we need an 11th hour, and I don't know what produces an 11th hour in this situation, but typically to get something done, the 11th hour is where it gets done. Can we create an 11th hour out of this instead of just one-day strikes that will just continue on, like you say, like snow days? Yeah, I don't know what would create an 11th hour for this government. This government has made it clear that that the cuts are going to happen, and they seem to be leveraging it against anything else that we might want to talk about at the bargaining table. So that seems to be their bottom line, that the cuts will happen. I don't know what more we can do to make it clear that uh, that is not acceptable to us, but, um, you know, this is the best that we've been able to come up with so far. So certainly if anybody has any ideas for how to put more pressure on this government, we would certainly be listening. Uh, certainly we've also uh, had a lot of supporters go to hear for students so that they can let their MPPs know how they feel about things. So we would encourage your listeners to go to that website, hereforstudents.ca, or to our bargainingforeducation.ca to see the positions of both uh, the government and OSSTF. We're talking with John Bernance, who is London's OSSTF District 11 president. Again, we've got a one-day strike coming up on Wednesday, and it will involve the Thames Valley District School Board, the high school teachers. So that 
is in place for this Wednesday, and then we see beyond that. John, in, in terms of, of what you're hoping for, it is, is it that you get a lot of people putting pressure on the government? Is that kind of the, the end goal in this, in a way? Well, I think that's the only thing that will move this government. Certainly arguments about the impact that this will have on students have so far fallen on deaf ears. So I think this government only seems to be responsive to what they hear from uh, their constituents and the people that voted for them. So we would ask people who did that to, to let them know how they feel. How much discussion has there been about not just one-day strikes, but a full-fledged strike? Uh, I haven't been involved in any discussions about full-fledged strikes or, or when this might turn into that. Uh, certainly that is a possibility. Uh, I just haven't been part of any of those discussions. Okay, so you're not, you're not hearing, hey, guess what, we're going to have a, a discussion or you're going to hear this in, in January or in a, so nothing like that has happened. I'm just not part of the group that would be making that decision. Right. Well, we appreciate you updating us on this situation locally, and do we know of any other potential? I mean, we're going into the, the holiday break, so anything else that may happen before the holiday break, or this is the last one? Well, we certainly, there is bargaining today and tomorrow in Toronto, and everybody is hoping with bated breath that uh, a deal can be reached, that these cuts can be rolled back. Uh, and if they are not, then the strike will go ahead. And uh, as I say, we're all hoping that, uh, that we can cancel the strike on Wednesday. John, thanks so much for the time today. Thank you, Mike. That is John Bernance, OSSTF District 11 president. So the strike he's talking about is the one-day strike on Wednesday. And there's no mention of anything longer, but you need an 11th hour. And there's no 11th hour in this situation. And then, again, I get tired of unions doing the same thing all the time and using the same tactics over and over again. There's got to be a way to do it. Maybe that's why they have to do it over and over again. If they didn't do it this way, nothing would get done. We've got Jeff Braun joining us all the way from Winnipeg. Jeff is a part of Couch Potatoes, and he's here to help us appreciate the place in pop culture taken up by the movie Dumb and Dumber, which 25 years ago today, 25 years? It's been 25 years? It has been 1994 on December 16th, this thing hit movie theaters, and it didn't maybe pick up all that quickly at first, but then things really got going. Jeff, let's talk about this. How are you doing? No, I'm not bad. I fell off the jetway again. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I cannot believe it's been 25 years. I mean, it's the fact that it's been 25 years kind of puts into perspective that maybe it's okay that most of us have seen it more than 25 times. Is that all right? I think so. I've seen it at least that many times. I watch it once a year on purpose, and then you end up seeing it every now and then or parts of it here and there just on cable or wherever. What do you think made this movie as successful as it was? That's a tough one. Uh, it was it's it's a, just that silly kind of humor like like obviously it's like supreme dumb guy humor like you get in the Simpsons or Airplane and it just makes it so quotable and it's just joke after joke after joke after joke after joke and the story is just there to hang the jokes on really it's not much of a story but it's it's just a and it's it's just a classic way and at the time of course jim carrey was a brand new thing to all of us he we really hadn't seen him before that year he had that incredible year in 94 where he had ace ventura and the mask and then at the end of the year dumb and dumber 
And that's kind of hard even to realize, too, that Ace Ventura and The Mask came before Dumb and Dumber? Yeah. It's, a, it's And all in the same year. And before that, we had known him as, well, I guess we knew him as Fire March of Bill or whatever from In Living Color. But he had a, a 94 that rivals any actor's best year of all time. I guess if we're to build through this and look at the story, you mentioned the story. It's it's what? Two guys living together. One falls in love with a girl, finds a briefcase that she leaves behind, tries to take it back to her. That's kind of it. Yeah, it's just a road trip movie. So, And these guys are sort of, you know, they're fish out of water wherever they go. And then once they finally get to Aspen, they they find that the briefcase is full of money. So now they're poor and dumb and suddenly rich. Man, you wonder if when they were writing the script or even filming the movie, if anyone even had the sense of how big, how cult classic this could become. There's no way. How could you ever know that in advance? And and it seemed, it must have felt as innocuous and silly enough to everyone involved that they would think it would just, you know be forgotten by the time another year had rolled around. Yeah. I mean, the, even the idea that, hey, do you think we could get Cam Neely, who I, I think he was still playing in the National Hockey League, you think we could get Cam Neely to be in this movie? Yeah, let's go get Cam Neely. Let's put him in the movie. And we'll make him the bully. And then we'll put this most insane twist ever at a truck stop restroom involving him in it, too. We're talking with Jeff Brom from Couch Potatoes, and we are talking about Dumb and Dumber and the idea that it has reached 25 years of age. Now, they tried to do a Dumb and Dumber 2, Jeff. I, to tell you the truth, I haven't even seen it. Have you seen that? I did see it. I saw it in theater, and it's not bad. It's better than I thought it would be. And as I'm sitting here talking to you now, it's been, I think, two or three years since that came out, and I can't remember one thing that happens in it. And I could tell you just about, I could replay every breath of that of the original easily. Yeah, exactly. So the idea so, that you're going to do a sequel, do you think if they'd done a sequel earlier? Because, well, didn't they, they had one that was, that didn't involve Jim Carrey and Jeff Bridges, right? Yeah, it was a prequel to their high school years as them as teenagers or something. I've never seen that one. But I do think, like, if this first one came out in 94, if they'd done another one in 1996 or something, they would have stood a chance of being as good or equal to as the original, I would think. We're talking with Jeff Braun from Couch Potatoes. You guys just recently did top 10 movies of the decade. Now, here we are going back 25 years with Dumb and Dumber, but when you look back over the decade, was it a good decade for movies? It wasn't bad. I was looking back, when I was looking back at it, it was better than I thought it was going to be. I don't think it was, you know, it wasn't as good as the 70s. They get a, they are, everybody always mentions the 70s, and even the 90s I thought were really good, but maybe that's just my age or whatever. Um, but I thought this past decade was pretty good, especially if you like, well, obviously, if you like superhero movies, then it was the best decade ever easily. But it, it had a, a decent mix of uh, drama and action movies, not a whole lot of great comedies in it. But it was it was a pretty good decade. Jeff, if there is maybe one or two movies, if people are looking back saying, yeah, before 2020 hits, I want to make sure that I've finished off the 20 teens or whatever we're going to call them. Uh, let's Let's kind of look at two that you could really sink your teeth into. If you said there were two movies, you have to watch these two, what would they be? Oh, that's a good question. I, I'm really struck by uh, 
the movie Lady Bird from two years ago, starring Saoirse Ronan, written and directed by Greta Gerwig. And there's no real plot to that one. That's just about a, a high school girl who's in her last year of high school and getting ready to sort of, you know, go out on her own and take on the world. And she is, uh, the biggest relationship in her life is the one between her and her mother. It's kind of contentious, but her family's involved and, she, you know, she has a couple of boyfriends and that sort of thing. And it just follows her through that that grade 12 year as she gets set to become a grown-up. And it's, it's just... It's got drama, it's got comedy, it's kind of whimsical. It's I just thought it was sort of a all-around kind of perfect movie. So I always recommend Lady Bird to anyone who's never seen it. It was up for a bunch of uh, Academy Awards that year. I don't think it ended up winning any, but it's uh, I, with Saoirse Ronan, she's a young actress that is just phenomenal in almost everything she does. And she's got a new movie coming out at Christmas called, well, it's another adaptation of Little Women, which has been adapted many times, but apparently this new one's pretty good too, so I'm looking forward to that. And the other movie I would say, uh, and I don't know if it's recency bias, but it came out this year, and I saw it three times, and it's the Quentin Tarantino movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, it came out on Blu-ray this past week, and I just actually watched it again two nights ago, and that's if that's it's not his best movie, but it's in his top three for sure. If you like Tarantino, and you have not yet seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, i got to recommend that. What is it even about? That's uh, well. It's it's about it's about uh, how do you explain that movie? Um, Leonardo DiCaprio plays a Hollywood actor in 1969. Brad Pitt plays the guy that's usually his stuntman, and it follows their adventures as sort of it's the winding down of Leo's career, and he's him coming to grips with the fact that he's you know probably a has been as far as Hollywood actor goes. So it's got a bit of that in there. It's also his neighbor happens to be Sharon Tate, who of course was infamously killed by Charles Manson family in 1969, and they're in it as well. And so, and then it all called, sort of culminates in that one fateful night. And but it's a different take than what really happened. It's it's you really have to sort of see it to believe it. But I just found it to be the. The set dressing and the 1969 of it all in Hollywood is amazing. You really feel like you're there. They've done an outstanding job, and the soundtrack is crackling with music of the time, coming through on old radios and that sort of thing while they're driving through L.A. It's just the vibe of the movie is something else. Fantastic. Well, it may not be Lloyd Christmas and Harry Dunn singing Mockingbird, but what is? What could be? Exactly. Hey, we want to thank you for taking the time for us, Jeff, and uh, reminiscing a little bit about Dumb and Dumber and what it has become over its 25 years in existence. The anniversary of it coming out is today. All the best through the holidays. Keep up the great work on Couch Potatoes. Thanks, and likewise to you. You've been listening to the London Live Podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3. 